0: Hello and welcome to the G2 Podcast. So any of you that knows me um, will know that I spent quite a bit of well actually maybe you don't. And now I'm now we know that Leo did breakdancing, maybe you know <laughs> things are kept secret, well aren't they, over many years. So but I think, through, uh, many of you that know me will know that throughout my 20s, I spent a lot of time interviewing really, really old people. So like, like people who'd been doing interesting things in the 1950s. Um, and I interviewed them as part of research I was doing. Uh, so I interviewed a lot of nuns, a lot of nuns in sort of 95 plus uh, nuns. And I don't think I interviewed anyone over 100, but some people were fairly close. Um, one of them, I, I, went, so I, was in, I went to Philadelphia in the U.S., and it was the day after Donald Trump got elected. And no one whoop for that, yeah. Um, it was the day after Donald Trump got elected, and I went to this old people's home for nuns, right? Genuinely, they all retire to this one building and they all just play bridge and drink wine. And because Donald Trump had been elected the day before and they were quite annoyed, they were playing a lot of bridge and drinking a lot of wine. And so one of them, because I was supposed to be interviewing them to talk about what they've been doing in their life of cross-cultural mission and building hospitals throughout like, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way through. And they just would get wheeled into these rooms where I would then interview them, but they were so cross. So they kept telling me secrets and things about people that they probably weren't supposed to say, and then they say, oh, you can't write that down. I'd be like, well, why are you telling me then? There's no point. And honestly, I spent hours listening to these incredible people tell me all these crazy things they did 50, 60 years ago and wondering, are any of them true? So... I went to find out. I then went to Germany, where where a lot of the like, records were kept for what these nuns had been doing. And I found letters that they'd written 50, 60 years earlier, with exactly what they told me had happened. They were telling the truth. Now, I did a lot of interviews throughout like these few years, and some people told me genuinely insane stories of like, Missionaries that were faking it and stealing money from countries in suitcases and being stopped at the border. Uh, we had there were tales of espionage. There was um, there was a murder in a global health team that was a crazy one. Didn't expect that one. Um, what else was there? Uh, there was someone. There was a, another nun, but this nun lived in York. Who she had a whole incredible life where she ended up um, also kind of running a hospital in a really remote area um, in Africa, and she. Uh, told me that um, the president had been uh, bombed and ended up on her operating table. And the next day, the newspapers denied all of it. And like the history still says that he wasn't properly bombed, but she was like, he was. He was on my operating table. I saw him. Throughout my, all these interviews and all these people that I was meeting, I had to discern who was telling the truth. Were they just making it up? Were they, were they embellishing? Had memory changed over the years? Had their way of imagining what they did become something entirely new? And a big part of, okay, so I was pretty naive. I basically believed pretty much what anyone told me. Um, but over time, I'd have to check with like the different archives and different records. Did any of this happen? And what could I put down in the history I was writing of what really went on 50, 60 years ago in all these different settings? I had to discern the truth amongst lots of competing voices. And if you hadn't got it already from the game before, that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at who do you trust? What do you trust? How do you discern the truth? And can we trust God? And we're in a series building on what Toby spoke about last week, about speaking truth to power. Now, that might seem like a very grandiose thing. Uh, And we'll land with the end of the series looking at where Jesus says he will give us the words to say before any authorities and power that we come before. Um, But in order to get there, we want to see throughout the Old Testament, these many different prophets who spoke truth to the kings and the powers of the lands that they were in. And today today we're going to be looking at a particular individual who spoke truth to power. But the thing that I want us to really take out of this is, he Did he trust God the whole way? Who was he trusting? And who can we trust? How do you discern the truth from the lies of people like Jamie Wynn? Um, so let's look at... No, Jamie Wynn does not lie. I think that might be the first time he's lied. And it was very, very impressive. Um, right, so shall we look at the passage? Today we're looking at 1 Kings 13. So this is a wild story, right? It's full of twists and turns. It's got gifts. It's got lions. It's got lies. It's got dinners. Are you ready? Right. Are you all there? I think some of you have got Bibles around the table. that might help. It's quite long. It's quite long, so we're going to track slowly through it. Most of the talk is going to be going through this passage, to be honest. Um, So, the man of God from Judah. Okay. Right. Just to give you some context before we start. This is shortly after King Solomon has died so know King Solomon, maybe some of you know who King Solomon is, big king in the Old Testament. Um, he's died and there's lots of other kings of uh, the people of God. And, that, and that's what, what we're getting is lots of different kings, who, some of whom are not so great, some of whom are great. And this is a story in amongst these kings that rule the people of God. And what, who we encounter is a man of God from Judah who's going to confront the king of the time. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam, this is the king, King Jeroboam, this is a new king that's in charge of the people of God, was standing by the altar to make an offering. So Jeroboam, the king, has gone to the altar to make an offering. So he's gone to like the, basically, if we look a little bit before this, there's a lot about kind of um, golden calves and idols and things like that. So this, this king is making a pretty bad offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. So that's the prophet. The prophet cries out against the altar. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. Right. So what's happening here is there is a uh, sacrifice being made to like idols. And this prophet who's got the word of the Lord, who who God has spoken to this man, this man from Judah, and has told him, go and challenge, confront this king. And so he's done that. And part of the way he's done that, he said, actually, a good king is going to come a king in the future called Josiah. And that King Josiah is going to smash all the altars. And it's quite graphic, I get that. Um, but he's going to smash all the altars and he's going to bring back the kingdom of God. He's going to bring back the, the vision of God for our country, for the people, and he's going to set up his own rule and reign instead of you all sacrificing to these like really bad things, okay? So that's why he's saying about Josiah. And in a couple of weeks... You will hear the story of Josiah. So this is a prophecy for you. Right. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, shockingly, he was annoyed. He stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. And also, the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out, according to the sign given by the man of God by, uh, by the man of God by the word of the Lord. So this king, this the biggest authority, the biggest power in this country, has t- has shouted, seized this prophet. You can imagine how terrified he would have been. And at that point, the king's hand shrivels in front of everyone. Not a great look. Then, then the king said to the man of God. Intercede, so he's terrified. Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand might be restored. So he's saying, "Please help me. This is really strange." So the man of God interceded with the Lord. He interceded, meaning he prayed to God to ask him to um, to help. And the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, "Come home with me for a meal, and I will give you a gift." So his tune has changed from seize him, i.e. kill him, to come have dinner with me because his hand was shriveled up and the man of God, this man of God from Judah, has prayed and it's been healed. So talk about trying to confront truth, you know, trying to speak truth to power. This is quite an extraordinary example of it. So, but the man of God answered the king, "Even even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water here, for I was commanded by the Word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. So I'm sorry if I'm labouring it. I just think there's a lot of detail here, so I just want to make sure we're all on the same page as we go through. Right? The king has said, "Come up dinner with me. I like you now." Okay, it was a bad thing with the shovelled hand, but now I think. Maybe, maybe you're all right and me and you could be friends. But the man of God has been spoken to by the Lord. And the Lord has said to him, don't do that. This is not a good idea. This guy is not to be trusted. Don't have bread or water on this journey. It's almost like saying, fast. Fast as you go do this mission for me. Fast from bread and water because that's going to keep you on, the, on my course. And he's also said, um, you must return by the way you came. Does anyone know another instance in the Bible where this happens? Where a prophet, where's that? The three wise men. There is no prize, but well done. That is exactly what happens with three wise men, do you remember? With, with Herod, and they're told to go back by the way they came. I think there's some... He said, not by the way they came. Oh, it's not by the way they came. It's sort of the same. It's the same. Don't, he says. It's, but in this, he says, return by the way you came. Oh, and he says, no, don't. He says, you... Sorry. This is really helpful. That, that, I told you, this passage is complicated. This is why we're going through it slowly. He said, don't eat a drink and, and don't return by the way you came. Okay, right. We're on the same page now. It's an important thing because God's saying, follow my path. That's the point. He's saying, don't, don't di- be diverted by any of the different people you come across. Don't listen to their voice or trust them over me because they can't be trusted. Listen to my voice. Don't eat with them. Don't drink with them. Just go and speak to this king and challenge him because what he's doing is not good and then return. Then come back to me. So man of God, he's doing all right. He's challenged the king and he's not agreed to go have dinner with him. Verse 11. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So, man of God's on his way back. People are hearing about what he's been doing because news is spreading. Um, And there's an old prophet who wants to to go and meet this this younger prophet. So we're going to call them the young prophet and the old prophet, right? The man of God from Judah is the young one. There's an older prophet that's gone to, um, to, to find him. And he's asked him, "Are you the man of God who came from Judah?" And the young prophet, who's done the shriveled hand, says, "Yes, I am." He replied. So the prophet, older, said to him, "Come home with me and eat." Is this ringing alarm bells? What do you think the young prophet should do? Well, we'll see. The man of God said, "I cannot turn and go with you. Turn back and go with you. Nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place." I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of I know, it's very helpful in the Bible. It explicitly says it because there's no light, there's no particular tone that's given. I, I just did that myself. Um, so the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. Oh man, okay. So it's gone badly now, right? While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who came from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, oh dear, as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying on the road, both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Okay, so we've got to the point where not following God's word has got this young prophet eaten by a lion. I told you this story was a little bizarre, but there you go. That is comeuppance. Some people who passed by the body lying there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet uh, who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his sons, that's the old prophet because the young prophet has died, saddle the donkey for me. And they did so. He went out and found the body lying on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up. Uh, the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and to bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother, after burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. And you'll see that when we get to Josiah. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. So the king, who had a shriveled hand, did not change his evil ways. you think sometimes a sign would be enough. But no, he did not change his evil ways. Once more, he appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wants to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. have we tracked that story? (laughs) Because there's a lot that went on there. We started with a king that got confronted by the young prophet and challenged for sacrificing to idols. That young prophet had heard the word of the Lord and went off on his way and said, No, I'm not going to come for dinner with you. You are a bad dude. And then later he gets to an old prophet who tricks him and takes him for dinner and disrupts his way, and as a result, the young prophet gets eaten by a lion. The old prophet then mourns for him and says, he did, that guy was from God. And ultimately, the king has a downfall. There is a lot going on in this passage. And I think one of the things that's valuable about this is it's a tricky passage. Sometimes we, we look at the Bible and we only find the things that make a little bit of sense and that we want to put on fridge magnets and put on our fridge. Because it does, and that's good because we want to have verses that are encouraging to us and inspiring. And that isn't a bad thing. But also sometimes we need to sit in the more difficult passages, partly because it reminds us of how mysterious God is. How much bigger he is than us. And how when we come up against difficult things or difficult passages or confusing things, it doesn't mean that he's abandoned us or he's different to what we expected or there's, a, or there's a problem or we're not clever enough or anything like that. It's just a difficult passage, and that's okay. And we can spend time mulling on it, and we might even be able to get something out of it. What I would love us to get out of this is about how we trust in God and who we trust in. So... On your tables for a couple of minutes, I want you to ask the question, how do you trust people? What, what makes you trust someone? What, do you, what makes someone trustworthy to you? So, a minute or so, on your tables, how do you decide who you trust? Okay, I hope you found some interesting ways of uh, how you choose to trust people. Once um, I read a book called Everything moves at the speed of trust. Uh, and it had 13 trust-seeking behaviors. So it basically said there are 13 ways that you can choose to trust people. Uh, I won't go through them all, but some of them are quite interesting, like uh, demonstrate respect. Mm. Uh, there's also um, confront reality. So you know, people are more trustworthy if they seem like they'll confront reality. Um, or clarify expectations or accountability or keeping commitments. Um, Talking straight, uh, righting wrongs. There are lots of ways, aren't there, that we, we build up. We sometimes trust is like this invisible commodity that we hold with people. And we don't always know, or, you know, maybe how much it is with a particular individual. But it does change how we behave, doesn't it? When we, cho- when we actually do trust someone, it changes how we respond to them. And it changes how, what place they have in our lives. Um, and the same is the case with God. This young prophet, the big thing that went wrong is he trusts God at the beginning. And he trusts him so much so that he confronts this king and won't even go to dinner with the king because he knows God has much more value, much more trust, uh, much more trustworthiness than anyone he's coming up against. But then it kind of goes off the rails a bit, doesn't it? And he comes up with this old prophet who, for some reason, he just abandons what he was doing before. And I think there's a little bit about, maybe something about persevering in trust in this for us. I don't know um, what your trust in God is like, but it can change, can't it? For for me, anyway, in different situations, sometimes I trust him more, sometimes I trust him less. Sometimes with some people, I feel like I can trust him more, and then sometimes I'm not so sure. In the Gospel of John there are um there are a lot of examples of um trust and how jesus invites us to trust him now we've been learning the word koinonia quite a lot in the last few weeks but i'm going to add a new new word to our burgeoning greek lexicon and uh, are you are you ready for Marturia? Ooh, Marturia. <laughs> it's like almost as big as woo's fire pit fest um this word occurs 47 times in the Gospel of John, and it means witness or testimony to witness or to testify. Because throughout the Gospel of John, if you read it, what's going on is different ways of inviting trust. In fact, there are 13, there are 14 different types of testimony in the Gospel of John, loads of, And what I mean is, there are loads of ways that Jesus' life is being reported. There are different types of people, t- uh, different types and ways that people are talking about what Jesus did and what happened because the writer of the Gospel of John is saying, you can trust this account. With all these different ways, this, there are witnesses, there are testimonies. You can trust what I'm writing here and ultimately, you can trust Jesus who himself is saying, I testify about this. There are witnesses to this. So a lot of... um. The Gospel of John is asking us, can we trust Jesus? Can we trust this man? Can we trust that he is God? Um, and I sometimes wonder, is is that enough? Is it enough to have evidence? Is that, is that something that will build your trust having evidence of something or is it more is there more going on in our relationship with Jesus than just evidence if you knew and this is true that there was a there were a historical evidence of Jesus having lived in other accounts all over would that be enough to believe that he was God and follow him well maybe not maybe that's not enough and um, I know some people who really do believe that's enough who are like actually the historical account of Jesus really means a lot to their faith because they're like this is believable, there's something going on here. But for me, it's actually a little bit more in in that for me, I think it's partly about having faith that he is someone I can have relationship with now. And that trust comes from not like a rational defense, like evidence, like I was talking about with all those different people that I had to interview, who's trustworthy, who isn't. That's part of it, but that's not the whole of our faith. What actually gives us faith in Jesus is that his love is life-transforming. And actually, some, and there's um, an old G2-er called Josh wrote a book about this. I mean, a book about this entire topic, right? Uh, and he says that a greater understanding of the truth will not settle the restlessness in the human spirit. Only the redemptive power of relationship with God can calm our souls only the redemptive power of relationship with God can calm our souls. So we can believe in Jesus and trust that what, the words are said, what words are said about him are true, but there's also something else, which is building a trusting relationship with him now and being transformed by that love. So my big question here is, do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus and what in? And can you trust him? What would help you trust him? The unnamed prophet didn't trust God, I think, in the simple things. He could trust him in the big things with the king and with the shriveled hand, but maybe not so much with the dinner with the prophet on the road. It seems like for him, speaking truth to power and doing the big leadership, impressive stuff of like condemning the altars and the idols was actually something he could trust God in. But he was so easily derailed by this older guy. I don't know if any of us can know why. I don't even know why the old prophet wanted to trick him. It's really difficult to know. Some of you may want to spend the next few years studying this passage, and you can come back and tell me. But I mean, in the last couple of months looking at it, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know why he's trying to trick him. But you, I do know that there's clearly an example of perseverance falling down and not having trust in God in the simple things, in the little things, in the daily lives and choices that may seem like small stuff. But actually, this is the bedrock for the big stuff, the private life that's a bedrock for the public. Sometimes we disregard God and trusting in God in the smaller things because for some of them, maybe it's a bit more difficult. Our big life priorities, yeah, okay, we can trust God in those. But in the daily, everyday stuff, maybe not. Through the church, through the Bible, through our friends and family, we, we are given the voice of God. Through, his, through in prayer with him, he speaks to us and he's speaking to all of us. But actually, easily we can get distracted from that as we go through our life. One of my favorite lines in the book of Hebrews is, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The final thing I want to say about this is the older prophet is a leader. And for some of you, this passage might raise things about being disappointed by leadership. Because what derails this guy is really corrupt leadership. And we see that all over, whether it's been in your own lives, like relationships where you trusted and that trust was failed, or whether it was in the context of church, because there are a lot of them. And now I, I trust the leadership of this church. I think they're great. Um, but they might fail me. Like we can trust, we can trust leaders and we can put our trust in them. But we also know that there are many times where they fail because they're human. What's different is with God, we can trust Him and He won't fail us. God's word is rock solid. The word He gave to the prophet at the beginning of the road He asked Him to go on and the food He asked Him not to eat was true. God is revealing in this um, something about His character to the people writing and the people involved. And what is it about His character that's so striking? His word is trustworthy, He is trustworthy. As it says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. In Psalm 84, it says, the Lord is with me, I will not be, sorry, in Psalm 118, it says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. In Psalm 84, it says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Psalm 56 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In Isaiah 26, it says, A song will be sung in the land of Judah. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And in Psalm 37, it says, Do not fret. Because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither. Like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. I wonder for you where it is that you want to step into greater trust. Maybe for you today is the first step of trust. Maybe for you, you've been trusting in God a long time and there's an opportunity, a reminder, a little reminder to trust him that little bit more. To invite him that little bit more into another part of your life where you're not so sure. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to sing together. Um, but as I, as I close up, I encourage you, there's, there's, this is a long journey. And as Toby spoke last week about the, the prophet um, speaking to David, grace is always on offer. This is not about feeling terrible at the places you don't trust in him and thinking you're going to get eaten by a lion, because it is unlikely. I mean, maybe not totally out of the realms of possibility, but it's pretty unlikely. We have Jesus who has given his life for us, who offers us a relationship of trust and offers us grace when we mess up. This is a long-haul relationship where we build trust over time. You might not trust everything all instantly, but Jesus is inviting you into a relationship where that grows. So the opportunity today is to grow it just a little bit more, not to feel bad about where it's gone wrong in the past. But trust that little bit more, maybe in the everyday simple. And let's pray. Father God, we pray that we would trust you more because we know that you are trustworthy. We know that we can trust in you. And when we are afraid we are afraid, Lord, we pray that we could put our trust in you. Lord, we know that the one who is trusting you, one who is blessed, trusts in you. So we ask, Lord, to bring us into that deeper relationship.